0: Thanks to Renault, Leah, Alicia and Yuan for supporting UX Podcast. We really appreciate it. UX Podcast episode 233.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Pat Axbom, with listeners in 192 countries, from Rwanda
0: to Russia. And today's guest, uh, Richard Whitehand, has more than 25 years of experience working with usability and user-centered design. And uh, his consultancy work has always focused on improving products and systems from a user's perspective.
1: Now, both Per and I have known Richard for a really long time.
0: Yeah, I l- think you much longer than I, I think.
1: I think it's the, it's the very end of the 80s when Richard and I were both running the same type of bulletin board system um, back in the day when it was all very new and, and different to the websites of today.
0: Yeah, late 90s in my case, that when I met Richard for the first time.
1: But he um, he runs probably the most modern usability lab here in Stockholm.
0: Yeah, it's so much fun to walk around there and have him brag about the ventilation system, which you'll hear more about in our interview as well.
1: We were hoping to actually be in the lab mm. to record the interview, mm. but um, we couldn't actually be in person in the same place. Yeah.
0: Anyway, always impressed as we are by the whole labs concept, we sat down with Richard to talk more about usability testing in general and the benefits and challenges of usability labs in particular. For instance, should we even be calling them labs?
1: Richard, uh, maybe you could take a moment just to describe um, a usability lab to people. I mean, I can see um, that you're sat in your usability lab at the moment, but... Just describe it for for the listeners.
2: Well, essentially, it's it's uh, it's two rooms uh, with a one-way glass between the two rooms, and uh, we try and set up the the one room where the uh, test participant uh, sits appropriately for the the sort of test material that we're working with. So, if it's, um, for example, digital TV app or something like that, then it could be set up as a living room with sofa and chairs. Uh, coffee table. If it's a typical sort of website, then we've just got a a desk and and chair here. And so we've got a a room where the test participant sits, and then you've got a room where the the observers, the the team of observers usually, um, from the company that we're working for, uh, sits. And um, that can consist of anything from project managers to developers to in some cases, board members
1: that can observe these things. And I've, I know that you have quite a impressive ventilation system there as well. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, yes, we like to we like to show show people that. <laughs> the, 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 one of one of the biggest problems. Any anyone that's that's been in a usability lab or or two will will probably tell you that the the biggest problem. Is, is ventilation not, not in the test room with, with the test participant but in the obser- observation room. Um, there are many labs around the place which are essentially can be converted meeting rooms or converted office rooms where the observation room is perhaps dimension for two or three people and then you've got masses of observers cramming into there to watch and they run out of air and it's uh it's sound insulated it's also fairly insulated as far as the air is concerned so unless you've got a good ventilation system then people start to drop off um which is not what you want when you're observing usability tests so this place which we built a year and a half ago then we decided we'd do it really properly and um, we got into big discussions with the architect um, who uh, at one point simply refused to go any further with how much air we wanted to put into the observation room. It's, it's really fantastic, in fact, so we can adjust it depending on the number of people.
1: I really wish a lot of the meeting rooms I've been in over the years had anything like the ventilation you've got in the observation
0: room. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The, the experience design that goes into just the building of the premises and the care you're taking for the people who are coming to do the tests in a way that nobody else does. If you're inviting people to your office or something like that, you never think about those things. Yeah. But it's obvious that you think a lot about it.
2: Well, we've seen a huge change, um, well, certainly amongst our clients, in in the sorts of people that are interested in coming and watching these sorts of studies. Um, you know, When we were doing these studies 10, well, 20 years ago, in, in my case, then very few people used to come and watch, and if, 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 if you did manage to come along then it would be uh, designers and developers. These days, uh, well we just did a test uh, last week where there were board members of a big organisation that are invited to come along. Um, so it's very much now something for working with, or, or encouraging really, the whole organisation to become user-centric. Um, and in fact, one or two of our clients are, are stating that outright, which is, is, is great to hear, you know, that with this has been a really powerful tool for helping uh, to make the organization more user-centric, to understand, really feel for our customers.
1: So so you've maybe so you've seen the, the move from maybe where the, the report at the end of usability testing was the main deliverable mm. to, to a time where perhaps something a little bit less um, concrete is now one of the main deliverables
2: in a way yes we, we think that uh, we like to think anyway that at least half the value of doing this sort of study is uh, the impact that it has on the organisation as a whole or at least those those people from different parts of the organisation that are in, invited to participate um, and it really was a wide range uh, last week um, uh, people from, from marketing and sales, people from support, uh, board members, IT, and of course the UX staff as well. And they, you, you see how engaged they become in in what's going on uh, when they're sitting there on the other side of the one-way glass. The, the customer is just on the other side, is struggling with whatever it is in the interface, and they really feel for that person, they really understand what's going on, and they take that message back with them. And it's not just um, an understanding of what that particular problem was and how they might fix it, but it's a better understanding of who they're actually designing for and the sorts of challenges that they're facing, so they can apply that knowledge at all sorts of different levels, as it were. Um, So we think, and, and more and more of our clients really thinking this is this is one of the biggest values of doing this the problem we have um, is that more and more people want to come and watch these things live um, so when we built this place then we've built a slightly larger observation room but it starts to get you know the usability test starts to be about handling all the observers rather than the, the test participants because it's still one on one testing we're doing there's only one test participant and we also don't like have a situation where there can be perhaps too many people observing, because you know, if you're sitting with a, uh, a participant and the participant asks, you know, well, you tell me exactly how many people on the other side of the glass there, <laughs> we answer honestly, we're, you know, we're not going to lie to people. Um, so it's nice to be able to say, well, this is, you know, there's five or six people that are working with the, uh, the development of the website.
1: I mean, imagine imagine um, you don't really want it to become um, usability theatre. Where, no. where you're putting on a performance with like 200 people in the audience.
2: Yes, strange you should say that, but I recall many years ago, uh, Jared Spool, for example, uh, talking about cases where he would have almost like that at the, at the front of a large meeting room, uh, where the, the, the user would sit with the moderator, and then behind would be all these people that were asked to keep quiet. Um, it, it's... I'm sure it can can work if it's handled very carefully, but we prefer a situation where we've got a little bit more control over our our observers, and they, and they do get itchy feet sometimes as well. You know, um, some of the some of the designers and developers like, oh, the user needs to be told this. You know, can't you can't you just tell them that? It's like, well, no. We want to understand the real situation and what's actually what they would do if they were sitting at home or at their office.
1: Mm. I think that's a that's a very important point the that feeling you get um when you're in direct when you're directly observing a user and witnessing them struggle or fail um to do what you thought was quite obvious perhaps because you've been part of designing it um compared to the abstract nature of many of the other testing tools we're encouraged to use nowadays. And I'm thinking on. Um, I'm thinking about things like um, when we, we're using analytics tools or just um, A/B testing, for example, where mm. you, there's a there's an absolute disconnection from the context and reality, the the actual moment of the of the user doing something.
2: Yeah. Now, I mean we've. It's interesting you should say that because uh, just recently we've had now uh, two or three clients who have seemingly spent years uh, doing working with their analytics and different types of a B testing uh, and so on uh, we had a, a small startup uh, company here actually well, strangely enough in the uh, in the funeral business startup funeral company Bureau um, and they'd been uh, doing a, a huge amount of work um, a good work with with uh, on their analytics, a lot of A-B testing, following up on all sorts of different statistics, also connecting it up with their their call center statistics and so on. I think it was quite an eye-opener for them to actually come into this environment, to to watch users one at a time, to understand the actual whole situation in which they're, they're trying to use the website. Why? Why this interaction is occurring? It's one thing to sort of get data about what happens? Where do they click? But how does that come about? What are the reasons behind that? How are users thinking um, is is really important to understand when you want to actually make important design changes or or design decisions and And we feel that talking to some of these companies that there's a lot of focus on okay well should i should I put an extra button there or should I word that button differently or these sorts of changes in design where they'll try and follow up on the statistics, oh I added that in, that was an improvement, great you know I'm going in the right direction um, whereas they can in fact be missing the big picture you know you can maybe achieve a very small improvement by renaming a button or adding another button or, or whatever it may be but if you don't really understand what's going on um, what the user is trying to do and why Uh, then you can miss the really big changes that need to be made to the design that's actually going to have a big impact um, on on the UX at the end.
0: There's also that aspect of uh, today, most UX teams both do the research and design, but also do the testing of their own designs. Uh, Whereas always, of course, when someone comes to you, you're um, an independent tester. You haven't been involved in the the building of the site. Uh, So that means a lot because that's what I thought of when when I heard. So there's a a designer in the observation room who wants to raise their hand and say, no, we have to tell the user this. That unfortunately, of course, happens in user testing where you're testing your own product, that people actually interrupt the person who is testing your product and do that. So I think that's a, a huge value you're bringing to the table as well.
2: Yeah, and we also do a certain amount of design work in certain projects, so we end up in that situation ourselves. And we have the absolute rule that if you've been involved in, I mean, even if you haven't really worked with the design, but you've been a a stakeholder in the design, or you've you've contributed in in design decision-making, that you are not the one that runs the test to find someone that's not been involved. Um, to run the tests and I, I f- find it difficult to believe that uh, a, an interface designer that's, that's really worked with their own design a lot can actually run a test in an unbiased manner, it, it's, it's mm. not possible. Um, and you're you're too much in the situation where you want well if I just you know if they just got it as it were yeah. they're not yeah. getting it that's you know they're getting something else.
1: I think well, that's that's an excellent point. Is I know that um, you know teams I've worked with that amongst developers um, it, it's very common that you would get another developer to check your code, you check what you've you've programmed. Um, for exactly that reason, that your, your ability to judge and see, you know, because there's so many ways you can, you can program things, then you, know, you, you become blind to the fact that, that, yes, it might work, but maybe it's not maybe the most efficient way to do it, or maybe there's other ways you're doing it, or maybe you've got standards that you haven't quite followed, you forgot one of them. So exactly the same benefits for programmers. You get another programmer to check it and give you feedback. And, and like you've just said with usability testing, sounds perfect for designers to not test their own designs
2: absolutely and and but then then of course you come into the question of 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 cost and time and naturally in some situations then then there isn't any alternative and we would always then argue well doing something is better than nothing as it were Uh, when it comes to user involvement. The key message is at least to keep quiet. A user test is not about, it's not an interview. If you can simply get to the point where you can give people a situation in which they need to achieve something with your site or your app, they understand from their own perspective what it is they need to achieve and let them do that and watch them, uh, then you can come a long way. I've seen also too many uh, usability tests where And it's partly brought about again by the people that are watching, where they feel, well, you know, the moderator's not asking any questions. What's he doing? You know, there's nothing happening here. Uh, It's as if it's some sort of interview. Um, And I've seen tests where really essentially every time a user clicks on something or or presses on something, that the moderator says, what were you expecting to happen there? And what do you think of this page? And do you like the colour scheme? Um, whereupon the the poor users completely lost track of what it was they were trying to do.
1: Now, you've been doing formal usability testing, Richard, for for over 20 years. Um, Would you say that um, usability testing now is more prevalent um, than it was 20 years ago, Um, taking into account the fact that we're we're more designers now than we, we were 20 plus years ago?
2: Mm. Difficult question. I mean, yes and no. 20 years or so, a bit ago, I mean, we've got the great expansion in, in the web, of course, the, the, the mid-90s, let's say, 25 years ago. And there you saw a sudden realisation at some level that now we're designing for the general public. You know, Until that point, people were designing with a a more specific target group in mind. When it came to most development projects that were go- going on, it was internal systems that maybe that we were working with. Um, but now we were designing websites for the general public. There was a huge expansion of that stage in, in, in the number of designers working. And we saw a, a growth, or the beginning of that growth, in, in usability testing. Now, of course, there are a lot of, of people working with, with UX whatever UX is, um, at, at, in different ways. And there are lots of different approaches to, to user testing. So, so I mean, if you sum all those up, all the different approaches, whether we're talking about remote, moderated, unmoderated, um, in-person studies of different kinds, and I, I'm sure there's a lot more going on uh, than back then. I would argue not enough in many cases. Um, mm what we should be saying. I mean, you, you, you said earlier that um, I've been working with formal usability testing for over 20 years, and that's that's true. But I, I would say most of the testing that I've been working with is not f- what I would call formal. Mm-hmm. We need to see a lot more informal usability testing going on, much more small-scale, rapid user testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're starting to see here, because uh, we also... Uh, I didn't mention, but we also rent out the facilities here to, to other organizations and we're starting to see people coming to us and say, well we, you know we just want we want to put one day here one day there at rapid intervals where they 're going to be doing a series of tests and a rel- relatively short period of time and that 's very important to get this ra- rapid iterative testing into agile processes whatever's going on um, in the organisation. The understanding that we can't just test once, we need to test a number of times. It's not just a question of testing, oh, well, now we've found all the problems and we know what to do. Um, and many uh, organisations are starting to enamor that now, which is, which is
1: nice. It's good that you picked up on my use of formal there, because because w- of course what I was meaning was was lab-based um, usability testing, the, the planned, structured lab-based usability testing, uh, as opposed to um, the very many other flavors of, of testing that we um, we do and ad hoc and guerrilla um, sketches at um, Starbucks, all these kind of things, which which all have R- all remote place.
0: online tools,
1: yeah.
2: Mm. Yes, I suppose it does come across as maybe a little bit more formal, but to 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 me it's 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 more just an environment which enables us to involve the designers and the developers in a different way to, you know, going down to a cafe or something like that. Um, it's, it's not a replacement for that either. I mean, I would say it's probably about maybe just, only, uh, just over half of the studies that we do that are in the lab. There are many studies that, that uh, for good reasons, need to be done in the field, and you're always weighing up the benefit of being able to have the design team present and the value that that gives, which, which we see is great, compared to, OK, what are we losing by, by not doing these, these studies in a particular context.
0: That's interesting because that means there's a, a maturity factor and there's a factor of where you are with the design, how fast you need to go between the tests uh, so you're obviously weighing in a lot of things because when I go to conferences these days very few people even talk about lab testing it's it's not on the agenda for, for a lot of designers and uh, it seems unfortunate in a way because uh, the way you're describing it is it's, it's really set up to weigh the pros and cons of doing the, this and that way. I feel that as
2: well to some extent. At the, mm-hmm. at the, at the same time I remember 20 years ago um, or, or more when we were we were attending uh, exhibitions um, and just for fun we, we went round in, in white lab coats and made it all a bit sort of scientific. It got attention but I'm not sure it's the, the right image one wants to have of of a lab or even in fact calling it a lab but I mean that's what Mm -hmm. it's always been called. It's to me very much about facilitating involvement of the design of the design team Um, and it shouldn't be seen as such a a big special thing in a way but we do feel I mean even though the one-way glass of course looks a little bit I don't know can, can look off-putting. We try to we try to not have the participants even facing the glass. In fact, but it, it's very much about connecting the the observers, the the designers, developers, the project managers with what's going on. Um, so it's it's quite a practical setup here. I know there were many uh, or many there were a few organisations. If you go back twenty twenty five years, some of the big banks, for example, in the UK, um, Ericsson in in, in Sweden. Um, having quite fancy labs um, because they were both used for, for testing but they're also used to sort of wheel in key clients and so on to show look this is our testing facility doesn't it look wonderful yeah there were
1: demo facilities as well that you've you yeah. got to show off the kind of the future world that they could be in I mean Ericsson had a yeah. lot of those kind of environments yeah. um, to show yeah. off the next technology that was coming
2: I think we uh, we all need to better understand uh, the, the people behind our data. Understand the why and the how uh, for the user interaction that's going on in in our interfaces. And uh, this is an extremely powerful tool that um, I think some people have have bought into in a big way. We we've got a number of of, of clients that come back many times each year to do this and other people perhaps uh, still see it as you know this scientific lab that's that's it's not a representative environment and it's it's not 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 realistic to to run tests in that way and it's too expensive but there's lots of lots of arguments i, th- I think it's it's mm. got some huge strong points
0: it certainly does and i think uh, more people are aware now uh, i I always enjoy talking about these things because i mean i hear I hear both sides I hear, hear all sides all the time, but it's it's so you 're so balanced about it. Uh, there are pros and cons to everything, uh, and so you just need to think about those things. you need to think about what you're testing and what you're trying to find out and what who you're trying to influence in yeah. the end i mean
2: we 'd all love to do usability testing that's you know one hundred percent realistic. Uh, in, in every respect, it's 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 not it's not possible. Um, I remember reading an article, trying to think who wrote it, but uh, someone that was conducting regularly conducting research in people's homes. And this is often brought up, you know. If, if we're going to be uh, conducting user testing of a of a website or an app that's used in people's homes, then we should be testing it in people's homes. Well, uh, this this lady discovered that it took. Several days of being in someone 's home before she felt that people started to act you know reasonably normal yeah. as it were <laughs> um, and sure if you're if you're prepared to invest that amount of time in your your research for one participant um, then then go for it um, I think when Certainly in Sweden, um, I'm sure it applies in other countries, but if you go into people's homes uh, as, as a relatively unknown person, of course, they've, they've tidied everything up. <laughs> and they're very conscious about things that are going on and want to make an impression, and it, it's not realistic. So uh, you can't have fully realistic. What, what I think you must look at is what's, what's going to make the biggest difference to my project? What, what is going to bring the biggest benefit um, not just for me as the, re- as the UX researcher but for the project and the organisation as a whole and these days I, I truly believe we have to get our colleagues, get our, our, our managers, our board members on, a, on the user-centric bandwagon uh, and uh, they need to understand why this works important. They need to, they're the ones you know investing in, in us as designers and developers that they're the ones with, on, sitting on the money, as it were. Um, if they really understand the benefits of this kind of user research, then there's more potential for us to, to do the things that we need to do to make a difference to design.
0: Definitely. Perfect note to end on. Thank you for joining us, Richard. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks a lot. So I think one of the
1: often or the most overlooked, perhaps, aspect of usability testing is the whole thing to do with how it helps create uh, a culture around human-centered design that you um, expose people in your team To the (laughs) sometimes suffering that your products and designs actually cause in people at first hand.
0: Just that, yeah, just that aspect of involving people in the usability testing is what will help the team forward and have it top of mind always when designing in the future.
1: And and this is this is something that Gerard Spool causes um, um, exposure hours. Um oh, right, and, yeah. and what Jared says if you know, when we talked to him before about it the the um ability mm-hmm. to when your team is maturing and a better answer to the five to eight number of participants in usability testing mm-hmm. is you should aim mm-hmm. to increase your team's exposure hours um everyone mm-hmm. in your team, in fact beyond your team, as Richard pointed out in the interview, mm-hmm. that you should be looking at um making sure even um, other stakeholders, mm, CEOs even, uh, would be involved in your testing to witness what's going on.
0: Exactly. And it's it's such a balanced way of putting it, talking about how lab testing is not always the right thing. Sometimes it's the right thing. Uh, you al- always have to figure out what are you trying to achieve. Uh, and that's what I'm really taking away from this interview. It's It's so important to always figure out what is the goal of the usability test and it can be a lot of different things
1: yeah and by and large the more contact you uh, exposure and contact you have with your users the better
0: mm. and funny you should mention jared of course because uh, recommended listening uh, is episode 179 with the jared spool uh, where we talk about nps net promoter score and uh, five to eight usability testing myth five to eight participant usability testing myth
1: don't forget to check out when our next mm. fika is by visiting uxpodcast.com slash fika that's f-i-k-a and you can also help support ux podcast financially by visiting uxpodcast.com slash support remember to keep moving see you on the other side Why did the PowerPoint presentation cross the road?
0: I don't know, James. Why did the PowerPoint presentation cross the road? To get to the other slide. (laughs) (laughs) Ah!